Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for downloading the Giles Corrin Has No Idea podcast. This week, Esther and I are on holiday, so yay! Uh, but only in England, so, well, still yay, just a bit quieter. But rather than leave you with nothing to listen to, because you can't listen to nothing, how else could you bear the housework or the gardening or whatever you do do to kill the time when we're droning on? We will be bringing you two special, new and totally different podcasts, which may or may not have been aired in the last couple of weeks on my Times radio show. This entirely new and totally original podcast is called Desert Island Crisps, each week I take a major celebrity, generally an old friend of mine so that I'm not all nervous when they come round to my house expecting to be fed, and set them adrift on a desert island without food or drink, and then invite them to tell us the eight things they would most miss eating in such a situation, and we try to provide a few of them, learning, along the way, a little bit about what makes them tick. This week, it's the Right Honourable Lord of the Dance and King of the Courtroom, Judge Rinder, known to me, his biggest fan, but only relatively newish friend, as Rob. So, Rob, uh, we haven't even started, and you're on a Barocca. I know. Is that one of your... It's my morning ritual. It's not your desert island snack? Oh, God, I didn't think of that, actually. I just need some vitamins. No, I, I've um, been to the gym because I put on two stone during lockdown, and Barry's is back, albeit socially distanced. Barry's boot camp? Yeah. Okay, so I read a, a lovely piece you wrote sometime during it about uh, Barry's boot camp, and yeah. how you're missing out on it, and it had this terrible effect on your body. You yeah. Look- Pretty, pretty sharp to me. No, it's a disaster. I look like a Picasso at the moment. My belly button's <laughs> down on my thigh and my tits are in my ears. It's complete horror. I look like a sort of nightmare scenario of what I didn't want to become and what I did look like in my 20s. So, mm. so what, what has gone wrong? Well, I mean, I've got no self-control as what's gone wrong. And also, I've been really depressed, um, despite all the privilege that I have. You know, inordinate amounts of it and always have. You know, access to outside, no reason I can't go running, etc., um, you know, whenever I get depressed or down or sort of lose a sense of, I don't know, sort of possibility, I spend too much time with myself, um, I end up eating and eating and eating and have no capacity to portion size. And um, the other thing is I'm no good at cooking. And the one thing that didn't happen during lockdown is they didn't stop Deliveroo. Not long ago, I got a call from my accountant saying that, um, <laughs> this genuinely happened, said that my, I can't remember the words he used precisely, but it was something like, um, your, you need to rein in your Deliveroo addiction. He used that word because um, you are 
uh, it, it's about the same price as a moderately successful cocaine user. Why he used the word successful, but there you are. Blimey. So what, mm. what, is your, what are you eating on delivery then? Which sort of it's, you know, it's... Junk or, or posh stuff? Because well, delivery, you know, the, the, the number one thing on delivery is KFC. Um, that is sound, it? Yeah. That, no. I, I, I had to give it an award at the Deliveroo <laughs> Awards. I say had to. I was well paid to. And I was slightly shocked that the, the Deliveroo restaurant of the year was KFC. Really? And I had to stand there. Lucky they paid well. I had to stand there as a restaurant <laughs> critic saying, yeah, and KFC is that. Is, is that what you're having on No, the, that's my illness food. That's when I'm really depressed. So it's my mother trying to call me because oh, it's my no. birthday and she hasn't had a chance. Your birthday today? Yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> How did I not know that? I, would have, I bought you chillant. I know. Oh my God, I'm, I'm actually here on your birthday. This is like the apotheosis of a lifelong ambition. And I know that your listeners, well, they may know about it because I've written about you twice in my column. Um, I know. You know, I, I've said this before. I'm never excited by sort of famous people. I suppose because over the years, people from university have gone to become like mega famous, like Benedict or whoever. And I don't know with actors and that sort of thing. But after the initial flush of recognition, it's always, well, not, a, not Ben's not like this, but, you know, it's a bit, you know, enough about me. What do you think about me? You know, actors. Mm. I mean, some of them are thinly interesting, but they've always got some hypocritical campaign that they're involved in. Um, and, you know, especially if they've spent time in L.A., you know, normally because of the toxic environment they've been in, which enables the worst sorts of behaviours, nobody wants to spend any time around them. But the people that were famous or that you fancied when you were a little bit younger are always the people you're most excited by. And in fact, you share a birthday with my other crush, Andy Peters, who's 50 today. Is he? Yeah. I know, and you look just you as good. You say other crush? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, here's the thing. When, when um, I used to watch you with Sue Perkins, I was obviously a bit grown up by then, but you were the last of those sort of crushes. So when I first met you, there was no way I was going to do well. And there never is. There's never a moment. <laughs> and I say this, you know, there's never a moment when I see I don't feel that just little bit of sort of excitement. Um, now, listen, why don't we focus? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many things I want to talk about. But I mean, I want to talk about the fact because you had the virus. I, I think I think before we depend, is that all right? I think, I, I think before we get onto the food. Mm. Um, so you're saying you've been depressed in lockdown. You've been eating to compensate and stuff. Yeah. You had the virus when? Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of first week was sort of a bit grim. But then week two, I had a, a little bit of a crash, to be honest. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it was a temperature and uh, a cough. And this sort of delirium, it's the best way I can describe it. It must have been because I found myself with my knees on the floor. I try not to look at you. My body on the bed. And I watched back-to-back Kardashians. I sort of couldn't turn it off, couldn't sort of take my eyes off it. Um, and friends were delivering food, which was very sweet, including um, one of the things on that list, which is why it's on that list. One day, um, I was trying to eat because I figured it was a coronavirus. I was trying to crowd out the uh, corrosive white noise of the various information, that, of the various bits and pieces that were coming in from the news. You will die. You will die. And, um, you know, that was kind of challenging and got a little bit troubling after a while. But, you know, I managed to sort of switch that off. Um, but I was ordering food, thinking it was a coronavirus. I was supposed to, my grandma said, you know, feed a cold, cold mm-hmm. is a coronavirus, starve a virus. So I thought, well, if I eat and eat and eat, that will help. And I tried to. And one day I, I ordered a pizza and was wearing a onesie and uh, delivery changed their policy where they weren't allowed to hand over food. And uh, I, I answered the door and the man delivering the food sort of looked at me. I was genuinely delirious. Sort Can of you like, just describe the onesie for me? It's a black starred onesie with a hood. 
Um, and you had the hood up, or I'd say I had the hood up. I didn't really know. And so reason- we had a we had a, re- a really famous, a high flying, mm-hmm. seriously successful barrister mm-hmm. with his yeah. own TV series, <laughs> star of Strictly Come Dancing, mm-hmm. opened the door dressed yeah. in a black starred onesie with the hood, possibly up, possibly not, and the right. pizza guy was taken aback. It wasn't that he was taken aback. He sort of looked at me because I was, you know, can you? I was pointing to him, put the thing on the floor because obviously he hadn't got the memo not to hand it over, and I was sort of worried about transmission that sort of thing. So. He looked at me like I'm trying to think like my um, my first driving examiner. He'd gone sort of peritonitis grey. My first driving examiner halfway through the test said, "Are you trying to kill us both?" Made us stop and walk back to the test centre. Um, I didn't think much of it, but he put it on the floor. I picked up the pizza and tried to eat it, and then sat on the sofa. And I thought, "Oh no, the you know the shivers have come again. This is a nightmare. Just when's it going to end?" I looked down. Of course, the whole of the front of my onesie was over. <laughs> was open. Yes, love. It was an absolute... I thought, God, that's it. I'm going to end up, you know, in the tabloids. Um, <laughs> um, so you, were, you had... You, and how long did it last, the... the, the, the like, 17 days. And the weird thing was, it literally ended after 17 days. And I... Uh, when the test became available for everybody, the antibody test, I had an antibody test much later on, and I had had it pretty So you're now, super, you're now free? Well, I don't know, because we don't know the science. So, you know, if somebody I heard recently had, had acquired it again, but I did feel a, a little bit like immuno-he-man walking around, and uh, I feel sure that that's influenced the choices I've made and how I've responded to it, getting on the tube, and albeit with a mask on and going to barriers. I wonder if I'd feel like that if I hadn't had it. We want to talk about, um, I want to talk about your desert island, your desert island Chris. We call it desert island Chris, but, know. you know, it's, you've actually gone for some... Uh, some, I've had to do Foods. some cooking here, or I would possibly potentially have to do some cooking. You've gone for some serious. You have to do a lot of cooking. We want to tell your life, which mm. I, and we know the story a little bit. I know mm. the story of your Jewish Orthodox upbringing mm. up in uh, sort of Enfield, Southgate. Southgate, right? Um, and then you know through your, your your school days, your brilliant legal career into your TV career. You laugh. I looked it up. You got a first. You were a very serious. You yeah, could have, you could have been a ser- you could have been a serious contender. You still are, of course, <laughs> uh, but also a big TV star, and, Thanks, and then exponentially more famous yeah. as a Strictly. I'm, normally we reveal the foods mm. one at a time, but I'm going to look through them and ask. I mean, you yeah. say you're on a, you're now on a diet. Do you want? Yeah. I've got some of these things. Do you want to eat anything? Yeah, I mean, it depends what it is. But okay, not... so we've got schmaltz herring. You said <sighs> now I've got some roll mops. No, that doesn't absolutely. Okay, well, we'll, 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 we'll roll mops are we'll a come hate crime. Talk about I do eat roll mops, but but schmaltz herring is. I mean, there is a hierarchy of herring. This is your first desert island food, definitely. What is it about schmaltz herring with onions and a glass of scotch? Yeah, this would be what I would eat before they send me off this mortal coil for sure it's um describe schmaltz herring to my non-jewish listeners of whom there may be one or two um it it, it just somehow um uh, articulates you know uh, uh ashkenazi judaism in one salty bite um it's basically um herring which is marinated in salt and fat. I mean, schmaltz means fat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's slimy and fishy and smelly and just a little bite of heaven. And for me, it kind of it is so much more than that. It's the smell, the taste, the memory, um, I guess, of my childhood, and most especially of my grandfather, who came from Poland. And, and on which side? My mum's dad. Mm-hmm. And he was a um, Holocaust survivor. And on Friday night, and a lot more, I spent a lot of time with him. My mum was uh, a single mum. And after school, my grandma used to uh, pick us up from school. She used to make amazing meals. And he was a baker. 
Um, the grandfather. By, by trade, incredible baker, which is fascinating because I have no transferable skills whatsoever. I can't. Baker come. back in, in. Baker back in Poland and here and a kosher caterer. Um, and so food was absolutely everything to him, you know, on, on two levels because he worked in it because that's what he did. Mm-hmm. But also because of his experience in the Holocaust, when you spent time with him, and in fact, if you ever have the gift to spend time with other Holocaust survivors, the thing that they center around most is food. And of course, that's part of the Jewish cultural dynamic, but it's so much more mm-hmm. around people who have had that lived experience of being starved. Mm-hmm. And so food wasn't just love, it was so much more. When my grandfather was dying, um, and when he was, was in, that? in 2001, mm-hmm. incredibly powerful man, extraordinary person. Um, one of the things that we discovered, and he died, you know, albeit having lived his life like the shtetl, as we say, you know, like the town in Anatevka and Fiddler on the Roof. He wasn't a sophisticated person by any stretch of the imagination. So was he from, he was from the shtetls in Poland? Yeah, in, in well, I was from a town called Piatrakov, which was a sort of town, but I've been back there, you know, I did it for Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. And I've made a couple more documentaries about it. Um, and he dotted about the place in the backs of drawers and in the backs of wardrobes were little um, handkerchiefs. And you open them and there were food and there was food in them. You know, you, you watch them standing around a buffet, these, his friends, the survivors, and they want to feed you. Eat, eat. Mm-hmm. It's much more than an edict. It was something about the delight in food, that sense of having the emotional, sense of having this emotional muscle memory of knowing what it meant not to have it. And to be cold. You know, I went back to Poland. So and was he in the, when you say Holocaust, if I, people use it to mm-hmm. mean all sorts of sure. states, you know, for, for Jews who, mm-hmm. so was he in the camps? Yeah. So he um, was from Piatrakov and he, um, first of all, was conscripted as slave labor to work in a glass factory. And his four sisters and his brother and his um, father and mother were sent to Treblinka and murdered. And then he ended up in a place called Skazisko Kamena. And then in Schlieben, which was a subcamp of Buchenwald, where I stood with one of um, his fellow survivors, Sir Ben Helfgott. It was an extraordinary moment as I saw him there in this wood. And uh, he said to me, and I, I knew that they'd kind of known each other, and he said, uh, as I saw him, I'd like to tell you what your grandfather looked like when I saw him here. And it's a strange thing, because a lot of people, when they think about the Holocaust, intuitively, understandably, think about Auschwitz, which is an extraordinarily moving and powerful place and a disturbing place. And the, I suppose, articulate expression of what the Holocaust was, this machine of death, it represents, represented the modernity of the German killing machine, the efficiency, someone sitting in an office at arm's length and working out the precise calculation of how best to kill somebody. That's, mm-hmm. that's what, anyway, left me when I was there. But of course the millions of others were killed in such different ways. And of course, this camp has been covered by nature. There's just the jagged suggestion of what was there. And that's all just a mouthful of schmaltz herring. I mouthful mean, of schmaltz herring. Right, and the scotch, which is really important. I've I could, got, from all that, I think the drink is important I've too. Got a, 
Anyway, if you were to, I um, I should say the funny thing about the Schmaltz stage. This is add a funny story. He used to take it everywhere. Didn't care what it smelled like. And the thing is, whenever we, even on planes, right, we would go to wherever it was, Israel, he'd take us to Bournemouth. And on the uh, train or the plane, he'd have a schmaltz herring sandwich. And it stank. Oh I mean, God. it didn't just smell bad. I mean, I'm trying to think of a clean fish analogy. But the difficulty is I'm looking at you and I'm, my mind goes instantly, <laughs> I, I, headfirst into the gutter, I, I know well the smell of uh, schmaltz herring. It's a shame you haven't got some here because we would be sort of... <sighs> I know. Um, but look, let's move on to a, let's move on from Schmaltz Herring to to what you what is what you have now. Uh, number two, I see, is chopped meat mm. could mean anything. Now, chopped meat could mean anything, and it's a specific dish to my grandmother. She makes Maureen Lipman seem like Sister Wendy. She's the most Jewish human being you've ever met. This is this is, no, this is your dad's mum. Still so, alive. So, so, in the nineties, and so your your mother and father split yeah. up when you were. Right, five or six. Your yeah. dad's a cab driver. That's right. Yeah, uh, and uh, you lived with my mum, your mum. So you were around the the, the Holocaust surviving uh, grandfather who yeah. died in two thousand one. Yeah. Um, so, on the, but on the other side, yeah, cab driver. Right. Uh, Jewish parents, not Holocaust survivors. Yeah, not no, no. They're born in England, as bit, are most of their parents too. A yeah. bit. A bit it's exactly the dynamic of my, my my mother's parents came from Slovakia, survived. They weren't in the camps, but their family were all killed. Mm. My father's. Ones were up Southgate your way. Right. They'd been here since the 1890s. Much jollier so, proposition. Yeah. Well, jollier I proposition, mean, not so much. I mean, they came from the East End in, you know, uh, you know abject poverty. And, uh, but yeah, I should add, you know, my mum, who, you know, was a, a housewife and, you know, lived in a kind of, you know, we lived in a, not your bit of Southgate, we were in the working class bit. Um, and, you know, she, she went from having no job, etc., to, you know, going back to study, to running a big publishing company. And so, which is an extraordinary thing, and, you know, you're not supposed to use this language, but I don't give a monkey. She, she went on a real journey, intellectual, spiritual, cultural, the lot, mm-hmm. um, which is an extraordinary thing because sort of we grew alongside one another. And she had this sort of extraordinary success and I suppose went through the various... Um, class ceilings Uh, and I had my dad who was a tax driver and very working class but what my mum always fundamentally understood and I suppose it's part of the thing that I'm always mindful of when I sit on family cases uh, in my court is that um, she knew that you know ultimately kids find out who their parents are and so if you are whatever the toxic dynamic in your relationship so long as you're mindful and you put your kids first and you understand it's critical they have relationships with mm-hmm. you know, their fathers, parents, etc. In the long run, that could only be for the good. And she was always mindful of that. So I had this great relationship with all of my dad's family. They were absolutely part of our, my childhood growing up. My grandma is genuinely epic. I mean... And she, tell me about her chopped meat. It is, right. I don't know how she makes it. But it's like unconditional delight and love in a in, in a meatball. It's basically like a meatball. Actually, I recently had something called Russian cutlets, which it must be based on. Some people call it Eingedempter. It, it's slow-cooked meatballs. She used to do it with turkey when she was worried about heart disease. Uh, and it still <laughs> tasted the same. I don't know how she does it. It's like, a little, it's like a little ball of magic. I mean, she had had this very, very... Uh, troubled childhood you know she was the only daughter of slightly elderly parents you know her mum had multiple sclerosis and her dad had had a stroke so she became the breadwinner at you know 11 or 12 um and you know consequently like a lot of people in that 
generation who were traumatized themselves that went on to be parents mm -hmm. you know they by natural extension pass that trauma on to to you or to the second generation and that of course interferes with your emotional chemistry in a whole range of ways that we're not necessarily aware of and she used to tell these kind of horrendous stories you know of her childhood and stuff you know each one more bleak and dark than the next and she used to just say the most extraordinary things and she still does you know honestly at what age 96 you know you can't you're sorry 92 you you can't actually believe some of the things that come out of her mouth but I absolutely know and knew that she loved me mm -hmm. and delighted in me with complete passion and joy. You know, you could turd on the floor and she would consider that art. I wrote my um, graduate, uh, I wrote my thesis. Uh, it, it was, well, it was at the time, uh, uh, basically a, a political discourse. Discourse, listen to me, a discourse. It was a, a piece about gay pornographic cinema. So I did this thesis and, you know, it won a prize and all the rest of it. And uh, my grandma came to my graduation. She said, darling, what's your story about? So I sort of coughed loudly whilst she was... <laughs> um, and she, she made this... I said, I, one of these days, mm. I'm going to have to have, have me around for it. The chopped meat, she can't make it anymore. And like when she couldn't... You know what this is actually... She needs to pass on the recipe to you. That would involve cooking is a difficult... But actually, I would learn it. You know, I have to tell you... And without getting too emotional, we're not on well. I, uh, I remember going around there not long ago, and it was like a really serious thing. I can't look at you and get emotional. She, um, she said, um, I think it's really interesting. I only thought about this just as we were talking about it. She, um, she said, I'm really sorry. Um, she's got rheumatoid arthritis. I, I can't make chopped meat anymore. And um, she was really saddened by it. And, um, yeah, it, it mattered to her. It wasn't, it was her delight in the food and the delight in us eating it and what it meant for her. You know, she obviously wasn't a person of much money or anything of that kind, but this was a thing that she could do that she knew absolutely for certain that we would enjoy. And she, she did the best. It's about what the food means and the love permeating into it and how it tastes. I always think, you know, whenever you can, you go around to somebody's house, and I try not to go around to people's houses when they cook, apart from perhaps yours or whatever, there's nothing more dispiriting than arriving at someone's house and they say, we've made fish. Ah! You have to allow me to segue to the next food, though, because you've talked about you like loving your food, but you yeah. hate it when people do fish. Number three, yeah. and we're going slowly through the food here. Yeah. Uh, fillet of fish from McDonald's. Filet yeah. of fish. It's the only. It's the only thing to order from there. I, I'm. If I had addiction, it's food crack for me. The filet of fish. Yeah, I can't have one. kosher in youth, not eating. Right. Food. So uh, when my parents are divorced, we used to go to Hebrew school on a Sunday, and my dad, who similarly, uh, I think, has, in fact, I'm certain, has no transferable skills at all. Can't use a hammer or anything of that kind. And it, it's sort of that taste of the 80s being sort of collected, knowing that I'd have to engage in some sort of species of conversation and not judge him. He would have girlfriends <laughs> who I would constantly sort of be talking to. I was often giving sort of emotional advice to his girlfriends and um, our au pairs. You know, I, they'd go out with boyfriends and after the first sort of visit, I'd say, you oh, know, that needs a rethink. Um, <laughs> I was probably eight or nine. Genuinely. You, know you were their gay best friend even when you were eight? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. They still, I still get letters. Um, yeah. Do you find, as Judge Rinder and as yeah. the TV star that you are yeah. now, that a lot of mm. straight 
um, Gentile women. It's Gentile women, yeah. But they particularly women. relate to you as an as a sort of guy who's. Um, maybe I get the. I have this wonderful. I love them so much. I really do. There's a, a group called the Rinderettes, and um, they're a royal family, and they're um, they're very devoted and they're brilliant, and they genuinely support one another, and I love that. Yeah, in fact, I should tell you, not the Rinderettes, I must emphasise, you must keep that in. Um, um, but um, I've never had any kind of fan mail from any man at all. But I have had um, quite a few letters from from women in various forms of undress saying, look, I know I'm not your thing, but, you know, I thought this might tip you over the edge. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm always write a kind letter back saying, you know, that's definitely your colour, but sadly, on this occasion... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so we've leapt straight to the Rinderettes, and I'm happy with that. But mm. I mean, you 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 obviously did well at school, full of the fish. Oh, and that's the taste of your your divorce of your your parents. Divorce. Yeah, and uh, uh, now that's my guilt food. That's what I would have. You know, I can't have one. I can eat three in one sitting. It's the tartar sauce, and the, I find them. I mean, I oh. grew up on Big Macs. I find the fillet of fish are tricky. It's marvelous. It's just yeah. And I was, so I was at New Zealand Airport, not New Zealand. I was in Auckland Airport, and it's the only place in the world where you can double up on the fish patty and I missed it I'm so upset what you can't go into the one in, down the road can't ask for a double patty can't you I've got no I mean I suppose I could if I asked very nicely when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One of the things we normally do is we normally yeah. try and eat some of the things on yeah. Desert Island Crisps. Now, the schmaltz herring, I didn't have enough warning. Yeah. To otherwise, I could have got it in. Antisimo, you know. And then the the chopped meat, the third fish. I want to skip number four just briefly. Yeah. I've got some squid. Can I grill you some squid? Because uh, the cat's going mental. Yeah. Are you going to do it sort of very simply? I can't. You're not going to put any kind of pretentious stuff on it. Well, I could just give it to the cat. No, uh, all right. No, well, no, no. If you're going to, if you're going to, have you like? Is it soft? It's not going to taste like your underpants. Actually, I would that's put a griddle on the top. Look, okay. Um, how are you doing it? Like, I want to know what you're doing as you're doing it. Okay, I've put, I put a cast iron mm. griddle on top of the heat. I've put yeah. a very, very hot heat. I would just chop it, chop it into very fine rings. Yeah. And then I would usually put a bit of, little bit of garlic. Perfect. And, and a little lemon. bit of chilli. Yeah. And then squeeze some lemon on. Heaven. Will you eat that? Did yeah. you eat that? I, you know, I, I have to say, there is something... Oh, look how you're I'm using just, that knife. Shh. This I'm is like, I always used to watch Nigella and be really cross. I was never invited to the dinner parties at the end. So I'm just and there always used to be one... Alan Yentob, yeah. He's make me furious. Yentob How come Yentob got invited? Where's my invitation? I've had dinner at Nigella's with Alan Yentob. In fact, well, he, was sitting, he was sitting in the bath with Sasha Baron Cohen swapping two stories. Anyway, I've well, just I sliced this... But watching you do this, this is, this is like, this is Desert Island, this is bucket list stuff. But I've just sliced some very, very, very... Uh, Fresh squid. Yeah. It's not baby, baby, baby because it's not the time of year. It's in the summer as you, the yeah. squid is slightly bigger. That's but it's right. not. It's not big, big, big. It's sort of. It's great. I mean, no. I mean, this is. So I was. We were. I was. I was to say. I was kosher until I was. Um, I, I suppose a young teenager. And for people who don't know, kosher food has to be slaughtered in the kosher way, the ritual way, but also. Um, the meat has to chew the cud and have split hooves. That's sort of why pork 
isn't kosher. Um, also, it's specifically prescribed in the Torah. But also, people don't re- necessarily know about seafood. So a kosher fish has to have fins and scales. That's how you know it's kosher. So seafood was absolutely out. And, you know, I remember eating seafood for the first time when I was a young te- teenager and just sort of thinking, what is this heaven? Um, and it squeezes a bit of... Oh, how just simple that is. Lemon You've and got then... some really good lemon. Where did it, was it fresh squid, do you think? And what? Fre- the squid? Oh, it was caught yesterday. I'm going to... Um, oh, my God, it's a rip. Good. Tell me what comes flooding back to you. In mm. my ideal world, we'd have time for me to cook eight things, but we've only got mm. one. So when I go on holiday, I'm, I'm, I, you know, not much of a party, but food is everything and simple food. And there's this place um, in Ibiza um, on S. Cavalier called Il Chiringuito. Have you been there? Mm. And all they do is simple stuff. You know, an ounce of pretensions worth a bucket load of horse turd, as far as I'm concerned in food. If it's longer than a sentence, I don't want to eat it. Um, um, so this is good stuff, though, this squid, eh? Oh, my God. I'm so glad to be able to... I, I would have... Um, mm. Um, mm. Now, aren't we, we get, we, we're eating this delicious squid, which is your, your trafe. It's my trafe. And uh, like I say, it's, these, it's holidays in Ibiza, Spain. Simple food, simple ingredients, just cooked perfectly. You're like a, a, um, a, a perhaps a sea bass done... In, in salt mm. just simple and then you talk about come, that holiday number mm. six and we'll come back to number four mm-hmm. but number six you have you also say we are, I gather is mm-hmm. to do with your best ever holiday which is caviar mm-hmm. with sour cream right. now I've got I didn't have time thanks to Ben to get real caviar leave Ben alone because our sponsors being Fortnum and Mason I bet they'd have got us some are they I've really got, I've got lumpfish caviar would you eat that with some sour cream yeah that's alright I mean and a blini, or would you think... No, it's, I'll have that. I mean, it's a bit of a schnorrer thing to do. There you are. <laughs> I know it's a typical schnorrer thing, but I've got some caviar. I've got some sour cream. Can we explain what schnorrer is? Schnorrer explain what a schnorrer right. is. Tell me why. Tell so me schnorrer, about caviar the, and sour cream. My one, uh, the, the one word I always teach to my uh, non-Jewish friends is schnorrer. It's so beautiful. It basically means being tight or mean. But it's more than being mean. It's a state of mind. It's like sort of halitosis of the human soul. It's that thing. You know, when you get, like, you get a little bit or... You know, you show up somewhere and they, they can't quite, you know, there's not enough to go round. Um, lumpfish caviar, what can I tell you? I feel terrible, I feel terrible. How can I come round without that? That's, see, Schnorri is showing up to your birthday and eating your food. Well, look, in the world of COVID, basically, this is as close as I'm getting to a birthday party. So, Iris, you can't, shall I give Iris, I'll give her some caviar. Do you know this, these cats, I'll be You're honest You're giving your you. cat caviar. Yeah, uh-huh. I'll give the cat some caviar, okay? You want some sour cream with your caviar? Shall I give the cat some sour cream? <laughs> come on, come on, cat. Look, I'll put it on here. But the point is, Esther will get angry if, it, if I feed the cat at the thing because we're trying to train her. Train her to do cat. what? Your cat's like a. Your cat's like a. Your cat's like some sort of. Your cat's Mariah Carey's spirit animal. It's fascinating how food like this can genuinely change your mood. Don't oh, you think? Yeah. The oh, food God. that you love absolutely happily oh. interferes with your cat. Like, it's. It, it, so can can delight you in a way that nothing else can. Well, this is why on Not Desert food. Island. This is why on Desert Island, Chris, we try and actually eat the food if we can because it is mood altering in here. So it looks nice. It's not going to taste like. I don't care if it's not the real deal. real caviar. So it's you ate this amazing. on a, you you crossed Russia by train. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a, a kind of. Um, and once a, upon a time, Jews crossed Russia by train yeah. for very different reasons. No, that's true. I always think that that's why I retain so much fat. It's because you know, genetically speaking, we're always being slung out of places and not so much food. 
And so, you know, my body is constantly thinking it's, you know, only two minutes before you leave Anatevka, keep that belly flat on, that keep that belly flab on. Well, have some, um, put, put some belly flab on now. Have oh some, God, I'm, so with cool. my apologies that it's, um, that it's lumpfish. I mean, it's good lumpfish, and it's nice to have a blini and a sort of, mm. you know? That's so good. I just, have that, this one's for you as well. I and mean, there's, there's lots more where it came from. Mm. I mean, the cats have had some. Um, it's so good. I... Well, look how how did you mm. how did you leap? Let's do this. Well, while you're oh, yeah. finishing off your caviar, yeah. how did you make the leap? Well, it, it seems to me that you must you you're such a performer. Now, a lot mm. of barristers think of themselves as performers. Yeah. You know, and they, and, what was that you, noise? You that was someone perorating. <laughs> That's my what you're, doing front of a jury. you're in the middle I, of a murder trial. I hesitate to rise, Your Honour. <laughs> I put it to you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what I quite... You know, luckily, I'm a journalist, so I never... Is that, not, is that the wrong noise? I can imagine the... Uh, uh, so you chose to be one tiny glass of wine and suddenly... When I was a four score years and ten... Anyway, so um, you, had, you, you obviously have some performer in you. Come on. You did look at you on Strictly. You know, you have that in you. Um, well, I'd done National Youth Theatre. So I had... Um, when I was 14, I was too young... Um, I was sort of, you know, averagely okay. I got into National Youth Theatre, which was sort of an okay experience. But I got to university and I tried out for a part thinking I'd have another go. And, you know, I read for it and I could see myself being okay. Sort of a a Holby City okay, you know. (laughs) And then I heard an actor read it and, yeah, that's what it was. It was like an epiphany moment, you know. Like sort of somebody because your best mates were your good mates with Cumberbatch, right? And I saw him uh, genuinely, and I thought, well, there's just no point, really. Mm-hmm. And so I've stopped doing all of that and got involved in debating and ended up becoming a barrister and um, became quite serious about it and wrote a small tome a few years in about money laundering and ended up my practice. I used to do m- murders and that sort of thing. The last murder I did. Uh, defended him was the old beta was in 2010 after that it was mainly kind of international law and i got appointed to uh advise the special prosecutor in the turks and caicos islands mm-hmm. which i only knew where it was when i went to the interview because i used to keep notes on miss world every year and those used to be um, miss turks and caicos but i had no idea especially where it was and the long and short of it is the government had been suspended for corruption and the uk had reimposed direct rule they recolonized the place um and i went out there to assist and it was sort of lovely for the first sort of week, you know, like lovely beach holiday. After the sort of fifth week of sun and sand and me putting orange uh, uh, carrot oil on my face, and I was put on quite a lot of weight, put my wig on when I came back, I looked like an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> it was, um, it was... I was getting Ray Winston sexy beast. Right. But... Oh, you're so nice. No, no, not, not even close. And um, yeah, it, it became fairly dull. And on the weekend, I used to write scripts and that sort of thing. And I went... Came back and I got kind of depressed about the job. I sort of lost my love and passion for it. You know, you have a finite amount of emotional capital to engage in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time or delightful or funny or, or even good. But you have to retain a sort of thin interest in it to replenish yourself. And I just lost it, especially when it's as challenging and as difficult as that. And um, as, as being a criminal barrister. Yeah, yeah, well, doing international law and yeah, being yeah. away from home and, you know, the um, high stakes involved and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I'd lost it, and I came back here to do a case in Croydon. Um, no criticism of Croydon. Um, and uh, I ended up writing this thing with this uh, production company, went to flog it to this woman at ITV. She gave it her her undivided indifference. But I think she may have thought it was the worst thing she'd ever read. I'd noticed that she had written some chick lid, as they call it, and I read it, and it was, despite having you know, immersed myself in Jackie Collins, it was a lesson for me. 
you know, all sorts of things. Just because you've read the brochure doesn't mean you want to go on the package holiday. Who knew that some of these things were there? So much. The, the gentlemen and ladies do together. You, right. So much can go wrong, I, I discovered. Anyway, um, so, yeah. <laughs> and so um, she ended up saying, look, are you qualified perhaps to sit um, uh, in a TV courtroom? Because she did telly. You know about telly. Yeah. Telly is, is nonsense. You know, basically, people who have, are in telly have meetings for two purposes. One, to kind of politically position themselves, to claim all the credit in the event that things go well, and to deny all the responsibility in the event that it's not a hit, right? Yes. And nothing ever happens. It takes ages. They just have meetings. So I just ignored it. Didn't think it was, like, real. Because we hadn't even done a taster tape or anything of that kind. I'd never been on telly before. Um, and she turned out to be this maverick producer. I, in fact, took a brief in Jersey... Um, I was advising their government there on this um, big and important um, public inquiry they were having into systematic child abuse. And then she, um, it turned out this was happening. And I flied to Salford where the court is and there was my name. And I had absolutely, I didn't believe it was happening. I hadn't prepared myself at all. That's how um, unplanned the whole thing and was. And Judge Judy existed in America. Sure, so I and learned that it, one. Of yeah. course, course, course. But also I learned a huge amount. You know, by that time, I was doing high-value, multi-billion-dollar cases and stuff. And of course, I'd kept my hand in other work. Uh, but, you know, my life had, you know, moved on from arm's length of the lived experiences of people outside of my London bubble. And I can't tell you, well, I can tell you, the gift... I really mean it, the gift of insight that I've had by doing Judge Render. And people sometimes maybe sneer at it, but those people Who don't... sneers? Lawyers? No, lawyers have been great about it, actually. As of my colleagues, and boy, what are I... And boy, I keep saying, boy, what's wrong with me? Um, and I'm in a really serious set of chambers. And I think that's because they are busy and the best at what they do. And people who are like that never sneer at other people. Actually, a case number two, they're not supposed to uh, speak in my ear, the producer. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget it. It was years ago now. And uh, the case in front of me, between two litigants, hello, whatever, I start the case and I say, oh, this case is about £97. That's not a lot of money. And my senior producer, who, you know, is just the most extraordinary extraordinary person, she's sort of, um, well, she's from the black country. Um, There's nothing better I can say about anybody than that you know she's just absolutely brilliant if she had a Native American name it would be punches with a fist and she um, she started speaking my head do you want to rephrase that you sound like a right posh head <laughs> um, and I thought it was great and she was right and year after year case after case you learn more than I could ever have hoped to learn you know I've tried for example to fill in a universal credit form and I'm no academic slouch I found it impossible and you realize but for adding several noughts onto the cases in many instances we all share in the same thing only the difference between a lot of the people in my court and perhaps you is lots of them don't have access to justice Mm. what I mean by that is a network of friends when they've got some sort of legal problem they can ask for help or get it resolved etc and to that extent um, you know it's been again and I use the word on purpose uh, a privilege and consequently I was able I think in fact I did predict everything that came politically I knew full well that uh, the lives of people in London in my small limited community was wholly different from what was happening outside you mean Brexit was a thing you could see coming for sure for absolute sure 
absolutely. I was warning everybody that would listen. Tell me about beer bottles. Ah, oh, this is amazing. Beer bottles are cola bottles, but they're the posh version. They're really hard to get. They do them now in those kind of posh shops around Leicester Square. They're hard to get hold of. And so it reminds me of school, primary school, um, after they used to sell them in those great big tubs. You know, the like beer the bottles. bottles or the... Yeah, yeah, you could get beer bottles now. Um, obviously, they don't have beer in them. They weren't sort of, you know, feeding alcohol to kids even back yeah. then in the 80s. But I used to leave Osage School in Southgate. And I'd get a great big thing. My grandma would live around the corner and would feed us and we'd get like a great big bag of beer bottles. And it reminds me of doing um, gymnastics with Mr. Crawshaw. I was really good at it. I can still do it, actually. And um, What can you do? You proper... Uh, yeah, front fits, uh, 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 cartwheel. In fact, I was doing it in the garden with uh, my, my nephews the other week. And I forgot that I was well into my 40s. And the next day I picked up a weight. And, you know, when your back go? Have you had your back go yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My back, I'm like, what, what is this? You forget that I, you know, and I'm falling to bits. Um, but it reminds me of that, the delight in doing gymnastics. And even now, they are my suite of choice. So I have them insofar as I can. Certainly cola bottles or beer bottles, if I can get all of them, but usually cola bottles um, in the uh, my chambers, which is a bit like a green room. And it also now reminds me of being and doing Judge Rinder, which I passionately love. I'm kind of in love with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in love with the programme. You know, despite, as I say, what some people perhaps think about it, when they get into it, the reason it survived is because it, 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 we don't just t- treat it seriously. The people that work on it really care about it. Um, and it really does matter to me. It matters, you know, despite, like I say, from time to time, some of the cases are funny, to be sure. But it matters that people learn about the law and the people who come to the courtroom leave feeling that they've been heard and have had the opportunity to speak and hear one another. And very often that makes all the difference. Okay, anchovies, number seven. I could Now listen, I've got some anchovies, I've got some boccarones. Um, I love I've got some tomato, but I haven't really got any very good bread. Should That's we have right. An, no, we can have a, we can have a, a, a non-carb version. Can we have a non-carb, because you're on a diet anyway. Yeah. So we just have well, a, I'm trying to be on a diet. I can't... I'm, my, God, I'm too, the cat will go crazy. I'm too no, depressed. This will be perfect for your diet. Is it okay? I, I'm really trying. I think the problem is that it's the alcohol. Like when you have a drink, then you, it's like a, it's like the gateway drug to food. Yeah. There, oh, these are good ones as well. Do you get them from the fishmonger? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, These are some proper boccaronis. So it would be, the, yeah, this is my holiday, again, with the squid. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of summer holidays, usually in Spain, but it could be anywhere else when they serve. It's, isn't it just, but mm-hmm. with, with beer. Do you not agree? It's the type of food, the sort of sense memory that you can kind of bite into it. And, you know, the day is incomplete. It takes me ages to relax on a holiday. Usually I'm kind of on the way to the airport back by the time I've sort of relaxed enough. Mm. And that's especially problematic as we're invaded by these little tubs of cruelty. He says, picking up his Pick- phone. Right. His iPhone. Right. You're listening in black and white. You know, the kind of perpetual invasion. Um, but I can bite into an anchovy and um, have a glass of beer. And it's like breathing out. It's like lovely somehow. Just it's relaxation, and probably right. something that's not happening this year for you. No, um, I might go to Italy if they keep it open. We'll see. So number eight, mm-hmm. I see the word cholent, and, and a, a favourite no. thing of my oxtail soup cholent. Yeah. Now, well, she calls it this. cholent, or she calls it oxtail soup. 
So I was going to go naturally for chicken soup. The problem is that you'd inevitably ask me who makes the best and the kind of ensuing violence in my family that that would cause. I mean, that broigus, as in the feud, that that would trigger. I love I a broigus. Come on, who cooks right. the best chicken soup? In no, 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 absolutely no comment. I'm perfectly, well, desirous of being in all of these people's wills. There's absolutely <laughs> no way I'm saying who makes the best chicken soup. I know who it is and she knows who it is. But I'm not blabbing. <laughs> no way whatsoever. Um, but uh, my wonderful human, I call her my wonderful human. So I, I grew up with um, my stepsisters and my dad had uh, a son and a daughter as well. But my, I was close to my stepsister and especially um, one of them was the same age as me. But sadly, she died in 2001. I loved her very much. And her mum and I have become very, very, very close. Um, um, I love her very dearly. Um, and she's the most extraordinary cook. She just somehow, she's just, her, her kitchen mm-hmm. is a magical space. In fact, not only is she a cook, but she's also, she used to be um, a very senior um, HR person. And I have friends from a variety of walks of life that will go and sit in her kitchen thinking about changing career or whatever, and she will make food. And within 18 months, your life will be changed in some way. That's the rule of thumb. It's happened to everybody that sat in her kitchen. And the food somehow tastes different. You know, stuff that I would never eat elsewhere tastes different in her kitchen. Quark, rhubarb, you know, stuff that would make you, you know, uh, hurl. What's that? You know, it'll give a, you know, it, it triggers your gag reflex. Quark. Yeah, what is that? Sort of like a yogurt stuff. Oh, cool. Tastes horrible. No. Well, I don't know what it's cool. called. I don't know. But anyway, stuff that would taste horrible, that would give you a gag reflex for all of the wrong ref- reasons, um, in her kitchen just somehow tastes amazing. And one of the things she made when I was unwell was oxtail soup. Now, it's sort of chillanty, but it's not quite a chillant. It's got butter beans in it and all so of that So to explain stuff. to our listeners, chillant is a, is a, is a Jewish, it's a Eastern Middle European stew dish. Beans, right. usually a, it's usually a bone, a marrow bone. Right. Beans, sometimes barley, sometimes paprika, if right. you're further west. A variety of things. And the reason you made it is because you'd keep it on a low heat over the Shabbat period because you couldn't uh, turn on the... Indeed, in the shtetl, I, uh, Claudia Roden would have us believe in her book of Jewish food that, yeah. the, that you would make it uh, in the, on the Friday morning That's right. and then take it to the, in the shtetl and take it, because you know, people didn't have, had to unkindle their fires, right. take it to the baker That's who right. turned off the ovens for the bread, but leave it overnight so that when you came back, so very cooling, you know, yeah. so when, it, when you came back from shul in the morning, the family right. would go and pick up Absolutely. the shulant from... My there. grandfather used to do that, the, um, the baker's family... Um, he used to make the most amazing cakes and food. Just food was so. And they did the challenge as well. I think so. Yeah. Um, but Your when, friend's I, oxtails when I was unwell, um, she used to come and um, leave deliveries sort of outside of the house, and um, she made this for me, and my taste had just come back from the from the from, the, from the COVID, and it was just. I, I, I can't even describe what it was like. I Is was it like, a soup? It's a sort of soup. It's a soupy version of chillant. But it's just like, it's meaty and tasty and rich and textured and just layered. It's got all of the things like, you know, obviously various herbs and spices. It, it's full of the secrets of what it means to be a good mother. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. You know, you'll, you can live a whole life. And even if you're taught the recipe, never, ever be able to recreate it. It's restorative. You know, it's somehow the way that food can exist as poetry or joy. That's what it felt like. Um, 
Anyway, you've got some over there. You, I saw you brought... I mean, I I'm not going to... I mean, you brought a frozen... A frozen... Got, it I'm takes a while. You need to defrost it properly, I think. I think you might need to add water as well, because it might be a bit clobby, but that's got a um, oxtail. Oxtails are always funny as well, because when you clean the bones, yeah. they look like little cows. It's really... They um, do. They yeah. do. No, I, I, a bone in there is, is very important. Quite. That sounds absolutely delicious. Well, suppose, mm. I, I would have to ask you, in the tradition of the mm. desert island, if you could only have one of these... Mm. Uh, eight dishes yeah. to live on on your desert island. What would you yeah. keep? Well, it would be the schmaltz herring, but I'd get really thirsty, so there'd better be a water supply. <laughs> I assume there yeah. is a water supply. So you have the schmaltz herring and all the, all can the I memories. Can have the scotch the with it? As your first thing was schmaltz herring with onions and a glass of scotch. That's what yeah. you can have. Well, just the glass. I want to get absolute... I want it's to a be... bottomless glass. Oh, fine, yeah. It's a bottomless glass of scotch and some schmaltz herring, so when Thank they do you. find you, you'll be very, very drunk and quite smelly. Smelly and fat. Well, where's the change? <laughs> Rob Rinder, thank you very much for sharing your Desert Island crisps. It's been a joy. Thank you, love. You've been listening to Desert Island Crisps, a special treat edition of the podcast Culled from my Times Radio show. It's a wireless studios production for Times Radio, produced by my pet millennial, well, they do understand the tech, Ben Mitchell. If you like this edition, please let us know, and in the future we might be able to bring you more from my desert island, where the build-up of hungry celebrities is beginning to make social distancing very difficult indeed. But for now, for more Desert Island crisps, tune into my live radio show on Times Radio on Fridays from 1 till 4 on your DAB radio, online, or using the shiny new Times Radio app, where you can also hear a whole host of Times podcasts, such as Red Box with the fabulous Matt Chorley, your political hit of the day, or Split Opinion with former Home Secretary Amber Rudd and her journalist daughter Flora Gill, where they argue about a different topic each week, with special guests including former London mayoral candidate Rory Stewart and the comedian Catherine Ryan. You can also binge on the back catalogue of this award-nominated podcast, Giles Corrin Has No Idea, which is available on the Times Radio app or wherever else you get your podcasts, including Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.